Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to Genesis Church. My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the uh, lead pastor here. And uh, before I get rolling today, I, I feel like I need to uh, clear up a rumor that originated from this stage uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, some of you are chuckling. Maybe you know what I mean. If you don't know what I mean, evidently, uh, Ben Krause, who was standing here just a moment ago, our Noblesville campus pastor, uh, stood here and told all of you that I have an image of an eagle holding a shotgun tattooed across my back. And uh, yeah, you laugh, but uh, last Sunday I was out in the cafe and a nice gentleman came walking up to me and he said, Paul, I, I just, I got to know, do you really have the image of an eagle holding a shotgun tattooed uh, across your back? And so I want to set everyone at ease today and just let you know that it's not true. Uh, it's a blatant lie. I do not have an image of an eagle or a tattoo or any combination of the two tattooed across my back. And just so you believe me, I've got proof. I've got a picture of my back to prove it. Uh, where would you put a tattoo like that uh, on, a, on a back like that? And uh, thanks to Ben for letting us get a picture of his back for, uh, for this message this morning. But... Uh, uh, seriously, we're in uh, week three of a series here at Genesis that we're calling Bad Coffee Mugs. If you've got a Bible with you and you want to follow along with us today, we're going to be in a couple of different places, but uh, specifically John chapter three. Uh, we're talking about different slogans or different messages that we see around, and uh, we see these, and they sound nice, so nice that you might uh, print them on something like a coffee mug. And with some of these phrases that we've been talking about, uh, there might be some truth in them. All right, I mean, it's possible that there might be some truth, but for the most part, uh, they are misleading or even untrue messages. And so two weeks ago, Ben talked about that phrase, uh, God wants me to be happy. And last week, Kevin uh, covered the statement, we are all children of God. Two fantastic messages that you can check out through our podcast. Uh, today, I want to talk to you about a message that uh, you've most likely seen at some point, maybe not on a coffee mug, uh, maybe more likely on a bumper sticker on the car uh, of someone in front of you. Maybe you've got a sticker like this on your own car, but no matter uh, where you've seen a message like this, it, it is a message, it's a philosophy that you're likely, if not already, to find yourself bumping up against more and more uh, in our culture. And uh, it's this popular message, coexist. All right, you've probably seen a bumper sticker again like this before. Uh, the message coexists. And just kind of quickly, uh, the, the C uh, being the crescent moon and the star represents Islam. Uh, the peace symbol uh, representing Buddhism. Uh, the E, which some, some different interpretations of, but kind of represents energy and science. The star of David representing uh, Judaism. Uh, the I being a pentagram uh, at the top representing a Wicca and, and paganism. Uh, the yin-yang or the Tao symbol, some call it, uh, representing Hinduism, and then finally the cross uh, representing Christianity. Uh, it's this message coexist, and uh, I recognize that everyone interprets a message like this uh, differently. And uh, because there are different interpretations of what a banner like this stands for, I, I want to first point out uh, some good or even some truth uh, that can come uh, from a message like this. For example, if, if this message, if this message coexists, stands for religious freedom, well, 
I don't know why we wouldn't be behind a message like that, uh, that we all want to enjoy religious freedom here in our country. If a message like this stands for uh, tolerance and respect for one another, and that is tolerance for what it used to mean. Tolerance for what it used to mean was you have your opinion, I have my opinion, that's okay, and we respect one another in that, and so there's that, that respect. I can get behind a message like that. If it, if it stands by uh, about for friendship or uh, going to great lengths in your life to live at peace with every to live at peace with your neighbor, uh, I, I can support a message like that. I, I think we got to get behind a message like that as a church and, and as Christians. I mean, it was the Apostle Paul who wrote in Romans 12, 18, he says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Uh, consider this. How, how many of you have ever taken the megabus before? Anybody ever been so bold, so brave to take the megabus? All right. If you've never done it before, it should be on your bucket list. Everybody should take the megabus uh, at least once. But I took it to Chicago a couple of years back uh, for a meeting that I had downtown. And uh, as a way of saving some money and also providing an opportunity to do some work, I, I, I took the megabus. And uh, so I, I got on the bus here in Indy, and I ended up sitting behind a guy who reclined his seat right into my lap. All right. And if if you know that experience at all, it can be miserable, and there must have been something wrong with the seat because he really was uh, in my lap. And so uh, we were just a few minutes into the trip, and I th- so I thought I'd kind of give the seat, you know, that little bump just to kind of let him know, hey, you're kind of in my space. He turned around and gave me a look that said, if you do that again, your final destination will not be Chicago, all right? And uh, so I made every effort not to bump this seat, uh, again, because he did look mean and bigger than I was. But, uh, you know, I-, I got to Chicago, and again, it was a little bit of an uncomfortable comfortable trip, but made it all in one piece. Well, for the return trip, I had a strategy. And my strategy was to get to that bus as soon as possible so that I could carefully select my seat. And so I I found a seat with a rail in front of it, all right? And so I had no chance of anybody reclining into me. And then what I did, kind of another, you know, strategic move is I took my bag and I set it on the seat next to me, just as kind of a way of saying, or at least for people to assume that I had somebody sitting with me. And I thought, well, I'll do this as long as I can. Well, sure enough, the bus is getting ready to pull out. I've got this seat empty next to me, and one last guy jumps on the bus. And uh, wouldn't you know it, he jumps on the bus. I've got the only seat left, and he sits down next to me. And just a couple of minutes into the trip, uh, I introduce myself to this guy and uh, get to know him. His name is Armin. And Armin was a a Muslim student uh, here from Iran studying in Chicago. And all I can say is we spent the next three and a half hours of that trip talking with one another, getting to know each other, telling our stories. I learned so much about his family and his upbringing in Iran. Uh, He told me again about his family and his faith. I did the same. He was uh, fascinated to hear that I was a pastor and had so many questions for me about Christianity. And as I saw the defenses dropping, it was just a great opportunity to ask so many questions of him. I mean, there's so many things we hear on the news and so many headlines we read. But when you sit next to somebody... And you have the opportunity to get to know them and to hear their story and to hear where they were coming from. I I had, before I got on the bus, I had stopped into a sub shop and purchased a sandwich that I had intended eating as my dinner on the way home. And I got to wondering, well, does he have any food? And 
Well, he didn't, and so I tore my sandwich in two, and he had an orange, and we sat there together on that bus and shared a meal with one another, and I just sat there thinking, oh, God, what in the world are you up to right now with all this? And uh, uh, before I got back to Indy, he was on his way to Cincinnati. I, uh, like a couple of uh, teenagers, I snapped a selfie uh, of the two of us. I think we've got a picture here, and uh, for me, it's just a great reminder of that bus ride, and no, I did not lead him to Christ. Uh, I, I didn't even try, but uh, I know that God used that moment in my life to uh, increase my heart, stretch my heart a little bit for people around me, uh, people who don't know the Lord. And um, I trust and I pray that God used that interaction to help Armin understand a little bit more about our faith and about the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, so here's the thing. If we can find some truth uh, in a message like Coexist, you know, about living at peace with one another and, again, enjoying religious freedom and tolerance, that's great. But here's where a message like this one becomes a challenge for me. You peel back the layers, really, of the heart and of the intent of this message, and it's the idea that it doesn't matter what you believe. All religions are the same. And to use the analogy of a mountain, I mean, the message of coexist is a lot like the picture of a mountain with God or purpose or meaning at the very top, at the very peak of the mountain. And so there are all these different trails, there are all these different roads that lead up the mountain. And again, the premise of a message like coexist is that it doesn't matter what road you take, they all lead to the same place. All roads lead to the same God. And why does that present a problem or a conflict for us as Christians? I mean, why is that a bad message? Well, here's the thing. It runs counter to everything that our faith and our salvation is built upon as followers of Jesus Christ. And if you don't believe me, I mean, look to Jesus. Look at the exclusive claim that Jesus made in another place in John, in John chapter 14, verse 6. It was Jesus who said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's an exclusive claim. That's a bold and courageous statement made by our Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, the very foundation of our faith as Christians is built on Jesus' claims that he is the only way to salvation. I mean, he clearly believed that a person could only be assured of forgiveness and eternal life with God through exercising personal faith in him. And it wasn't just Jesus either. I mean, look at the, uh, the words of, of the apostle Peter in Acts uh, chapter 4, verse 12. It was Peter that said salvation. Now, when we say salvation, we're talking about the forgiveness of sins. We're talking about uh, peace with God. We're talking about the hope of eternal life after death. Peter says salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Look at also what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. He says, now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. All right, he, he's made this known to everyone. He is making this known today through the church and, and through uh, his people in this world. He says, to which the law and the prophets testify. Verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And it wasn't just Paul and Peter either. I mean, there were other men and other women who lived, who, who lived very boldly for their faith, who followed Jesus, and they believed this message to the core. And for this reason, many of them were executed for their faith. And not because they believed that Jesus was one of many gods, they believed that Jesus is God. And because of their faith, and because of their passion in telling others about this and telling others about Christ, they were willing to die. And so, the central message of the coexist movement is that it doesn't matter what you believe. All religion, all faith is equal. All roads lead to God. 
the message of Christianity is that there is only one way to God, and there's only one way to salvation, and it is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. I realize that that might encourage some of you, maybe many of you today, but I also realize that there may be some of you that are here today, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I couldn't disagree more. Uh, or you might be thinking something like, you know what, this is, this is the type of thinking that's very dangerous, uh, that has led to a lot of conflicts in our world. It's a big reason why people hate uh, Christians or the church today. Or maybe you're thinking, you know what, this, this opinion or your opinion, Paul, is so narrow, it's so old school, it's so arrogant. I want you to know, I want you to hear my, my heart. This isn't about arrogance. This, this isn't about a lack of concern for people who see things differently than we do. It's not, it's not about you or me being any more deserving of the love of God than someone else who might disagree with us or someone who might believe something else. Here's the thing. The goal is not to win arguments. All right? The goal for us as followers of Jesus Christ is not to win arguments. The goal is to win people to Christ. And if you're in Christ, if you have salvation in Jesus Christ, you have both an incredible gift and an incredible responsibility at the very same time. Because Jesus told us to go and make disciples, to make disciples of all nations. And he wants to use people like you and me to win people to the Lord. We have an incredible responsibility, a responsibility to know what we believe and why, and at the very same time to recognize that God wants to use us and he wants to use our church to help people find their way back to God. And we have a personal responsibility. You have a personal responsibility to intentionally invest in the people in your life, to lead them to Christ and to help them grow and live out everything that God has intended for them as you disciple them. And so uh, for us here today, for, for those of you that would say, you know what, I, I'm investigating all of this right now. I, I still have lots of questions. I'm still trying to put the pieces together. For, for those of you this morning that would say, you know what, I'm new to my faith in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you've been around it for a while and we all could use a refresher. What I want to do is I want to just give you four unchanging truths that are critical uh, to our faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you this. As you hear these, I want you to consider for yourself the difference that they might make for you or for someone else in your life starting today. And so as I promised, John chapter 3, uh, if you've got your Bible open, let's look at a couple of verses here uh, briefly, uh, starting in verse 16. Uh, Jesus said this. He's having a, an interaction here with someone. It was Jesus that said, starting in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And so whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Again, there's this conversation. These are the words of Jesus as he speaks them to a Jewish Pharisee named Nicodemus. And so let's identify four, I believe, unchanging truths that come right out of this interaction, four unchanging truths about our faith in Christ from these words. The first thing is this, if you're taking notes, that we have one God. As Christians, we believe, we stand on this foundation that there is one God in this world, and he is our creator, and he is our judge. And so when Jesus said that God so loved the world, Nicodemus here, this Jewish man, knew that he was referring to the God from Genesis chapter 1. He was referring to the God who has created all things. Um, our family uh, this past fall had a chance to take a trip out to Yellowstone, and uh, we flew into Bozeman, Montana. And does anybody know what Montana is known for? One of their nicknames 
big sky country, right? And uh, so we we flew into uh, Bozeman. We spent the first day and the first night uh, in this place called Chico Hot Springs. It's located right in the middle of the Paradise Valley. There's this beautiful mountain range on both sides. And man, on a gorgeous day, you can stand there. And I mean, you can see for miles in any direction. I mean, you see in that moment why Montana is known as the big sky country. And man, if you've seen that site, you've seen other wonderful, beautiful sites, you know that when you see it, I mean, how do you not look at those things and wonder to yourself, you know, where's all this come from? Uh, Who put all of this together? Uh, it was Psalm 19.1 that we read, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And here in John chapter 3, again, Nicodemus knew that, that Jesus was talking about God, the creator, but he also knew that Jesus was talking about God who is also judge. And, and so this is the same God who called Moses to the top of Mount Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments of which one says, you should have no other gods uh, but me, and no one likes to think about God and his judgment, or as Jesus explained here in these passages, the difference between those who are condemned and those who are saved, or those who will spend eternity in hell, or, and those who will spend eternity with God in heaven, but it's a tough truth to face. Right? It's a tough truth that we have to face, and some will say that it's arrogant, and some others will say that it's intolerant or that it's hate speech or that it's a big problem with the church and with Christians today, but it's a reality that we all have to face. We have to face it as truth. Uh, look at it like this. I, I ran the Carmel Half Marathon yesterday, uh, 13.1 miles, and uh, the race started at the Palladium uh, right in downtown Carmel and went east on 126th Street. Uh, you then made a right turn and kind of uh, maneuvered to the south a little bit before making your way back north and finally over to Gray Road and then uh, back onto Smoky Row and then a right on Cary Road before you finally turn left and you take the Hagen Burke Trail back up to Smoky Row and you go around to Old Meridian and then we made this pass uh, by the Genesis Church campus there on Old Meridian before finally turning left and you eventually make your way back to the starting place, also the finish line. Uh, there at the Palladium. And uh, there's a team that designs the course. Uh, there's a team that has determined where the course will begin and the exact path that you will take and finally, the finish line. And so if you want to be declared an official runner, uh, if you want a chance at finishing the race with a qualifying time, you have to run the race as it's been designed. All right? There's no way around it. You're not allowed to make up your own way or to take your own path. And to my knowledge, no one protested this, all right? No one stepped in and said, this is arrogant, or how dare you say that there's only one way to run the race? I mean, no one called them arrogant or intolerant. In this world that we live in, it belongs to God. And as followers of Christ, we believe that he created it. He established the rules. And I won't pretend to understand it all, but the fact is that if you don't like it, I guess you can go start your own universe, all right? I mean, if, if that's what you would choose to do. But the unchanging truth for us is this. We have one God. We have one God who created all things. The same God is judge, and that means that all other gods are false. And that's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, he says, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, he acknowledges, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for who we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. And it's right here that Paul opens the second door for our second unchanging truth. And that is that not only we have one God, but as Christians, we believe that we have one Savior. 
there is one Savior. And that Savior, Jesus, he is completely unique. And he points that out in his conversation with Nicodemus. Look back to our passage again in John chapter 3 in verse 16. Again, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So what's Jesus saying to Nicodemus here? He is saying that God gave his one and only son. Jesus is referring to himself here. He's making a very unique claim about his deity. And and this claim is going to create a lot of conflict for Jesus. Uh, He's inviting a lot of hardship into his life because of this. And so for this reason, the Pharisees, they're going to try and kill him because they're not real keen on this claim that he's making to be God. But this isn't going to stop Jesus from saying it as it is. And not only was Jesus in his unique in his claim to be God, but he's also unique in what we uh, sometimes refer to as the atonement. Uh, and that word atonement just simply describes how we can be reconciled with God to God through Christ's sacrificial death for us. And how did Jesus go about this? Well, the scriptures record for us and describe how he was arrested and tortured and nailed to a cross Uh, for his life and for what he believed and for what he claimed. You see, someone had to die for sin. Someone had to pay the penalty for my sin and for your sin and for the sin of of this world. And so Jesus did that for us. but, But his death wasn't a martyr's death. His death was an atoning death. It's sometimes what we call a substitutionary death. For Jesus, he did it willingly. And how do we know he did this willingly? We see it in his words. We see it in his actions. Like in John chapter 10, verse 10, when Jesus described, he said, you know what? I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You see, this was a voluntary move on our Savior's part. And what kind of God does that? I mean, what kind of God gives up his son? What What kind of Savior would lay down his life for his people? I mean, having lived a sinless life, Jesus was the only one qualified for such a sacrifice. And no other religious leader in all of history could make a claim like that. Uh, Theologian R.C. Sproul describes it like this. He says, you know what? Moses could meditate on the law. Muhammad could brandish a sword. Buddha could give personal counsel. Confucius could give wise sayings. But none of these men was qualified to offer atonement for the sins of the world. Jesus alone is qualified in this. Or like the prophet Isaiah described in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 to 5, he said, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. In my family, uh, we made a trip to northern Indiana a couple of weeks before Easter, and we visited another church uh, to see my brother-in-law, Matt, get baptized. And uh, it was an exciting service. It was an incredible moment with lots of tears because you see a little over a year ago, uh, Matt hit rock bottom. And uh, it was when he hit rock bottom that we all became aware of a substance addiction that he had been suffering with and uh, many years of lies. And uh, we weren't sure if he was going to recover. We weren't sure if his family was going to make it because uh, he had fallen so far. Um, But over a period of time, some great things started happening around Matt's life and his family. He got professional help. 
And it was through this professional help that he started finding some victory uh, over substance abuse in his life. Add to that, uh, he started attending this church up in northwest Indiana, uh, not only by himself, but with his wife and children. And uh, one year later, uh, not only is Matt finding victory again from his addiction, but he's found victory in Jesus Christ. And uh, he surrendered his life to the Lord, and his life is so different now. And his outlook has changed so much, and not only for him, but his family uh, is changing, and the people around him, the friends that God has put into his life. Uh, God's helping Matt heal physically, but he's already healed him spiritually. He's healed. It's by the wounds of Jesus Christ that he's been healed, and he belongs to God. And I'm so thankful for the different people that God put in Matt's life at just the right time to point him to Jesus people that were telling him about their faith in the Lord and what God could do for him as well. See, here's the hope that we have as followers of Christ. Here's the hope that you have if, you know, you would say, you know what, I'm far from the Lord today or the people in your life right now that don't know Christ, that maybe they're suffering, maybe they're not suffering, maybe they don't realize what they're already missing. It's by his wounds that we're healed. It's by the wounds of our Savior that we're healed. And that's true for me. It's true for me in my life. I know it's true for many of you. And maybe it's true for some of you starting today, our Savior. It's by his wounds that we're healed. It's it's the cross of Jesus Christ that makes all the difference. It's the cross that distinguishes Christianities from from all other faiths and all other philosophies and belief systems. Paul wrote it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 1, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel... You are saved. You are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. See, again, Christianity is not just some other philosophy or path to heaven. It's history. It's history for us. These things really happen. Christianity is not just a system of morals. It's the worship of a real person, and that real person is our Savior. It's our God. It's our Father. It's Jesus Christ. And so we have one God, and we have one Savior. And the third unchanging truth is that there is one way to God. There is only one way to God, and it's just so important that we see and acknowledge this. Because here's the thing, there is this growing belief in our world today and within some churches and even segments of Christianity too, and it's this, it's this idea that Christ has paid the price for the sin of this world, and so therefore that, that salvation is automatically credited to everyone, no matter what you believe. Now, we call this belief system, we call it universalism, And the message of universalism is just simply that everyone will be saved, that no matter what you believe, everyone will be saved. And I got to tell you, it's false. It's absolutely untrue. It's a deceitful lie that the evil one is spreading in this world. And some people like to put words in Jesus' mouth and say that he made these claims, but read it for yourself. What did he say? Look at John 3 again. He says in verse 17, he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. All right, that's good news. All right, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. See, we are saved from the consequences of our sin by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. We can find peace with God. 
through faith in Jesus Christ, we can experience forgiveness of our sins, purpose, and the gift of eternal life when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. We don't have time to talk about the other religions and what they believe today, but many other religions say that if you want to get to God, you have to do something. All right, there's something that you have to do. You've got to earn your way. But our God says with Jesus Christ, it has already been done for you. Um, I don't know if you realize this or not. I found this fascinating, came across this this past week in my studies, but the Buddhists uh, have a story that is very similar to the story that Jesus tells in Luke, the story of the prodigal son. But there's a really big difference between the Buddhist version and and what we believe as Christians. In the Buddhist story, when the wayward son comes home, he's got to work. All right, he's got to work. He's got to work in servitude to his father for a number of years to re-earn his father's favor and to be reinstated into the family once again. But if you know this story, then you know that in Christ's story of the prodigal son, as the son comes home humbly in repentance, what does the father do? He immediately embraces his son and restores him to the family. And so there's this big difference. With Buddhism, you've got to earn your way back to God with Christianity, we believe that it's a gift, and it's a gift to those who choose to believe. And for the prodigal son in Jesus' story, salvation is found immediately in Christ, in those who humbly say, I'm a sinner, but today I'm putting my trust in my Father. Paul said it like this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved. Please see that clearly today, that it is by the grace of God which we are saved. It's his gift to us. He says, you have been saved by the grace of God through faith. That's the part that we bring to it. You have to choose to believe. God's not going to force this on you in your life. You have to make a willful decision to put your faith and your trust in him. He says, this not from yourselves again. It is the gift of God, but it's not by works so that no one can boast. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. There is one way to God. It is by placing your faith and trust in Jesus. It's choosing to believe that this message is true. And so that leads us to the last truth for this morning, and that is that we've got one hope. There is one hope in this world. There is one hope for forgiveness. There is one hope for healing. There is one hope for for purpose in your life, if you're looking for that today. If you know people that are struggling with purpose and meaning, there is one hope for eternal life. And so that means for you that for your friend... um, for your unbelieving spouse right now, for, for your children, for your coworker, for your neighbor, uh, maybe for your mother or for your father. Maybe you've got a friend at school. Maybe you've got a second baseman on your baseball team. We have one hope. Our one hope in this world is Jesus Christ. For the, for the people that we're serving right now as a church, right here locally in this community, the people that God has called us to, uh, the people that God has put around you in your neighborhood or in your apartment complex or in your dorm, uh, it's the students that we're buying school supplies for, it's the homeless that we're helping to feed in Indy right now. There is one hope. And that one hope is Jesus Christ. And it's true of the places that we're serving outside of this country. Uh, Those places that we serve, the people that we're serving in Haiti right now, the people that we're reaching out to in Albania and in places like Myanmar and Ukraine, there is one hope, one hope for this world. And that one hope is Jesus Christ. I want you to hear me again. Our goal is not to win arguments. 
All right, your goal should not be to win an argument. Our motivation, our goal is to win people to Christ and help them find their way back to God. And that's why we need to be intentional at the relationships that we're building. It's why we need to pray and pray specifically for people in our lives, the people that God has put there uh, for them to come to relationship uh, with God. It's why we need to be good listeners. Uh, It's why we as Christians need to be the very best at loving and serving. It's why we need to believe and know why we believe what we believe, because there is one hope for the people that God is putting around you, the people that he's put in your life right now, and that one hope is Jesus. And for some of you this morning, you need to acknowledge that you have no hope in your, right now, in your life right now. In fact, you're gambling with your time and you're gambling with your life. Let me, let me just ask you this question as clearly as I can. If you were to die today, do you have any idea at all where you would spend eternity? And if you have confusion over a question like that, if you know that that's not eternity with God in heaven, I want you to know that this doesn't have to be a matter of doubt for you anymore. This doesn't have to be an area of confusion. You can have that hope, and you can have that hope with Jesus Christ. And some of you need to resolve this conflict in your life once and for all today. In fact, I'd go so far to believe that some of you are here for this very reason, even this morning, because it's time for you to open up your heart and your life and to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and not only believe, but be baptized as a way of going public with your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul spelled it out very clearly for us in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He said it like this. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We just bow your heads with me for a moment and maybe just reflect on the power of those words for just, for just a minute. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can I just ask you today as your heads are bowed and every eye closed, do you, are you saved? Is your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, are you living for him today? Do you have the the hope of God in your life, man, it is a free gift available to you and available to you today. And maybe, maybe that's why God has you here this morning. It is time for you to respond to that message with your life and to be changed and to be healed. It is by, it is by his wounds that we are healed. You don't have to carry around your pain anymore. You don't have to pay the price uh, for, for the sins that you've committed in the past or in the present here. Sure, there might be some consequences in this life that you've got to deal with, some frustrating circumstances that are going to follow you around, but on an, on an eternal scope, uh, you don't have to carry that. Christ will carry that for you. He gave his life for you. It's the free gift that's been offered to you today. I just want to offer you this opportunity right now to just receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, to take salvation today. It's being offered to you. And if you're at a place in your life and you really sense that God is moving in you right now and you're ready to respond to this message, I just want to ask you to just pray these words with me wherever you're seated right now. You can pray them silently if you want. If you want to pray them out loud, feel free to do that. But just pray these words. Just pray, Jesus, you are Lord. And I am inviting you to be the Lord of my life today. When I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And just say, just give me salvation, Lord, today. I'm putting my faith and trust in you. 
And God, I thank you right now for those that are praying this prayer around this room, those that are reaching out to you right now, Lord, and I pray that in a very powerful way, you would touch their life and they would never again be the same. Father, we thank you that we have a Savior, that you have made a way, that we have a hope, that our hope is in Jesus Christ. And again, for those that are praying this today, Lord, we just celebrate. We know there's a party going on in heaven right now for those who are surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ. We thank you, God. Thank you for providing that way. Thank you for that hope that we have in Jesus. And uh, for all of us, Lord, maybe some here today just need to be reminded of what they have. Lord, would you encourage us in that, that you provided the solution, that you rescued us in Jesus. But at the same time, Lord, I pray that you would examine our hearts with us, that we would be able to see clearly, you know, any pride that maybe is springing up, maybe uh, any barriers that are standing in the way from us seeing someone as a friend or seeing somebody that we can love right now. I pray that we would not only see this truth that we have, but at the same time see the responsibility that we have as followers of Christ and as a church to share this message with others, Lord. God, we want to give you all of the glory. We want to be the very best at loving people so that your name will be praised. We are putting our faith in you, Father, for all these things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, the the, the words that Jesus spoke there in that conversation with Nicodemus just one more time. He said, for God so loved the world that he gave. See, for us, the entire gospel comes to focus in this one verse, that God's love is not just for a particular group of in- individuals, but it is offered to the whole world. And how was that love expressed? He gave his son. He offered his son who gave his life so that we might live.